1: Good evening. I'm Amrita Myers, and welcome to Bring It On. We're a multiple award-winning show celebrating 14 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans.
2: Good evening. I'm William Hosea. In today's Election Eve broadcast, you'll also hear our perspective on what's relevant in the African American world of news and local events of interest, all in the next hour on Bring It On.
0: But first... And in two days, in two days, Indiana, you get to vote in what I believe will be the most important election of our lifetimes. I I, I know politicians always say that, but this time it's really true. (laughs) Because America's at a crossroads. The care of millions is on the ballot. Yeah. A fair shake for working families yeah. is on the ballot. Yeah. Perhaps most importantly, the character of our country yeah.
2: is on the ballot. We have been at
1: crossroads before. You just heard former President Barack Obama rallying the electorate on Sunday at the Genesis Convention Center in Gary, Indiana.
2: In my hometown, and I could not be there. With less than 24 hours before Election Day polls officially open, the nation has witnessed record-breaking numbers of early voters casting their votes for this midterm election cycle. Projections for tomorrow's turnout are expected to mirror presidential election cycle levels.
1: Democratic strategist Robin Winston, an accomplished business leader and skilled political strategist, has devoted his career to providing timely and savvy public outreach and strategic political advice to his colleagues and clients. He made history when he became the first African-American to chair a major political party in Indiana
2: along with running the largest minority-owned public relations firm in indiana robin launched progressive thought matters in 2016 progressive thought matters is a nonpartisan partisan 501 501c4 organization committed to educating the public increasing public participation by previously underrepresented groups and promoting progressive public policy needless
1: to say Robin and his team have been busy registering record numbers of first-time voters throughout Indiana. He joins us tonight to provide his expert analysis on tomorrow's historic vote. Will the outcome affirm the divisive Trump agenda, or will we see a Democratic blue wave change the balance of power in Congress and in gubernatorial races across America? Let's find out right now. Robin, thank you for joining us tonight on Bring It On. Oh, do we have Robin on the line?
0: Yeah, thank you for having me, and let's have a great day tomorrow.
1: Oh, thank you for joining us. I'm so glad you're here.
2: No problem. What, Robin, how are you?
0: I'm fantastic. How are you all doing?
2: Uh, good. It's been a while. This is William Hosea.
0: Hey, William Hosea. You know, so... Oh, Back at it again, aren't
2: we? Yeah, we are. And uh, you know, just watching all of the election news coverage, uh, viewers and readers are, are saturated with points and polls. There's a lot of dots to connect. You know, there's a lot of tension, uh, a lot of anxiety. Mm-hmm. So, how would you put all of this into perspective?
0: Uh, the most important thing, William, and what's your other co-host's name?
2: Amrita Myers.
0: Amrita.
1: Amrita. It's just Rita with an A. M. Robin. Amrita.
0: Okay. Amrita. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Uh, the most important thing is vote. You know, I I I lost my debate. I wanted to send a letter to MSNBC and just ask them to turn off the television, turn off the shows tonight, and send everybody out to phone banks
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, to to vote. Um, it's one thing to sit at home and have a nice salad and watch MSNBC all night long, and and ran at the TV it would be much more effective if you actually went out and voted tomorrow and that's the most important message that we had to drive home two years ago everyone had already started getting ready to go to the inauguration of hillary rodham clinton not everyone but a lot of people had yeah um said she had it in the bag uh no need to worry but if you don't if you don't vote or if you don't try to do something to vote that's important so i would lead by saying this everybody on this broadcast has a cell phone mm-hmm. and i know that i certainly get christmas mornings a jingle bell text or something wishing me a happy uh, holiday or i get blast text at maybe a, a, a happy easter use the same capabilities that we all have and i've already done it earlier today to blast text out to people that you know and remind them that tomorrow is election day and that they have to vote. Uh, if I learned anything this cycle, and I continue to learn, uh, is that the most important voter contact is not, as they call it, GOTV, which is to some people is get on television,
3: <laughs> but it
0: really is get on the way that you best communicate with the people in your life. You Every you and and everybody on this um, broadcast are the best articulators of why folks should vote. Not a 30-second ad, not a yard sign, not a billboard, an evening news story. So if I can say anything to drive home, you know, when you get away from the broadcast tonight, or if you're listening to the broadcast tonight, be texting people that you know that are in your phone and encouraging them to go vote. Uh, All the discussion, whether we're going to make history in Georgia, in Florida, wherever it's going to be here in Indiana, it does not matter if you don't vote. And, uh, you know, we went through this phase up until October 9th, where we were encouraging people to register to vote. And we did very well, over 70-some thousand new registered voters. But we spent the last month since October 9th encouraging those newly registered voters to get out and actually vote. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I run into people at my church that I got to do something and I'll be, well, you know, I'm sorry, brother, so-and-so, but you're not registered to vote. But things are are happening here. I mean, you look at early vote in some of the southern states, I mean.
1: Up 400, 500 percent.
0: Yeah, with 200, I mean, two times early vote of 2014 Um, here in our state. You know, we we were part of the effort. I know I never use the word lead because lead makes this pretty presumptuous, but we were part of the effort. Here in Marion County, just to give you a stark reality, there's only one early voting location in Indianapolis with 700,000 registered voters. In Hamilton County, which includes Carmel, Westfield, Fishers, they had three early voting locations in their county with 200,000 registered voters. Remember, we had 700,000 with one. Three with 200,000 Boone County, with 48,000 registered voters, had eight early voting locations. So this time we went to court and we won, and we got six. So people are now looking at the fact that early vote in Marion County is 30-some thousand ahead of where it was in the presidential race of 16, which basically goes back to two tenants and the next uh, that we're going to fight continue to fight for. One is increased early voting location right and two is extending the hours of voting it
1: matters it matters so you
0: can't so I, what i learned this cycle was everybody has a constituency it doesn't matter if you have a constituency if the mechanics are not there so that people can participate you can be as excited as you want but if you are driving to Bloomington for school or you're driving to Indianapolis for back and forth to work and you can't make it there by 6, mm-hmm. then you cannot vote. So you either have to know that there's a way to vote absentee, which you may not know, or you get left out of the process. So
1: It's so important to have those early voting stations and to have those um, availability hours open on a day like Saturday, for example, um, you know, that, that's critical for so many of our, our voters.
0: It's uh, very important. So mm-hmm. so everyone used to always say the issues drive it. I, I think people know the issues. You can be excited about the issues. But if you are a, a person working on I-69's project, mm-hmm. you got to be there at 6 in the morning, and you stand to make $80 an hour by being there at 6 o'clock at night. I don't care. Anybody says you're going to go make the $80 an hour probably um, on your job site. So you have to know how early vote works. We have to know how absente-
1: right. and not everybody is going to give their workers election day off on Tuesday. It just doesn't work that way.
0: No, it doesn't. And we found that here in Indianapolis, when people downtown would run over to the city county, but you know, on their quote lunch hour <laughs> lines were long, like right. they were today, down down Delaware all the way to Washington Street. People just waved it off and said, I only have 30 minutes and I can't do that. Even people oh. here in
1: Bloomington today were standing in line for two hours on the last day of early voting.
0: In Bloomington? Yes. All right. Well, that's good for Bloomington, but unfortunately, too long for people to stand in line. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But even uh, if the uh, polls are open on certain days in early voting, it, you know, look at places like North Dakota. they should They still need to be accessible.
1: Oh, well, you want to talk <laughs> about North almost, Dakota and what they're doing almost, to the Native Americans in North Dakota.
0: What? It's been almost like hazy. It's been like, so what can we come up with as another right. impediment? Right. So if you're a Native American.
1: You don't have you a street address. You have a P.O. box. Oh, well, you can't. Vote. On
0: a reservation.
2: <laughs> and what, what was the uh, place where the, uh, the county clerk moved the polling uh, location out of town?
0: That was in Dodge City. Yeah. They moved it way out of town.
2: The only one.
0: Georgia, the guy, in Georgia, the guy running for governor oh, have to be the Secretary of State. Yeah, that's,
1: as he far else, as I'm concerned, that should be illegal. You should not be able to hold an office as, a, as Secretary of State, which oversees elections and run for governor simultaneously. <laughs> he's now opened up an investigation into the Democratic Party at the same time that he's running for governor. It is a sham.
2: Right. How was how that any different from someone under investigation conducting the investigation?
1: That Well, that's exactly what's going on. It's so shady. I mean, and look what happened yesterday. People stood in line in North Miami for hours waiting to early vote. And I mean, literally, people were waiting in line up to five hours and they ran out of ballots.
0: Oh, well, they did? Yes. Wow.
1: People were willing to stand anyway, in line for five hours has, in in a predominantly black district because you know they were waiting to cast their ballots for Gillum, and they ran out of ballots.
0: Democracy has proven itself to be a very hard thing once again. But don't perse— I mean, don't let it move you away. Persevere and please go vote. So right. that's what I'd lead with. Now I'll answer any of your other questions after that. But I'd be remiss if we didn't stress going vote.
1: no i think you're absolutely right i think that one of the things that is dangerous is when people get sucked in by this um oh Look at the poll, look at the points, you know, look at what the polls are, look at what the, the pollsters are saying. Gillum is up by six points or Stacey Abrams is up by four points. You don't have to worry. Don't worry about going. No, like you were saying, people were getting ready for the inauguration of Clinton, you know, Hillary Clinton. Don't be fooled by the numbers, folks. you got to go to the polls. Do not think that you can stay at home. Do not think that your vote doesn't matter. Every vote counts.
0: And I want to say something particularly to those who are millennials that are listening to your show. Going online, expressing your opinion through uh, a tweet, going online and social media expressing your opinion is not voting. That's not voting.
2: Are they actually confused about, the, about that?
0: They're showing more and more that some people believe that they have made their social commitment by doing that, and that is not voting, folks.
1: No, I mean, I think that a lot of millennials are actually really, really good about using social media as an organizing and activism tool. But I think that there are other ones who are perhaps confused about the fact that that's that's a tactic. It's not in an an end in and of itself, you know, and I think you're absolutely right. You know, you can't. That's simply a beginning. That in and of itself is not an end.
0: You know, you have to get off your computer
1: or your phone if, and you got to go and actually do something.
0: If the 18 to 30-year-olds voted, um, they would actually be the largest voting block in America.
1: And I think, but I think that's why you're seeing those incre- incredibly increased numbers in places like Texas and Florida and Georgia. Because I think that they are the ones that are getting out those votes. Because, I mean, I just spent the oh, last think- year living in Atlanta. I just moved back to Bloomington in the summer. And what I'm hearing back from, you know, my friends in Atlanta, what I'm hearing back from my friends at the HBCUs is that the millennials are getting out the vote.
0: They are, but not in the numbers that they they can be. And we'll find out tomorrow the impact. Also, we finally have candidates that are progressive that are stirring emotions. in folks. Right.
1: We need to give them a reason to vote.
0: Historic, historic candidacies in Florida and Georgia. And Beto O'Rourke is running one great campaign in Texas. So
2: oh yeah, we'll
0: find out in about, uh, what, 12, I mean, 24 hours from yeah. now what the reality is.
2: And, you know, unlike uh, maybe eight years ago, progressive candidates are running uh, uh, on, on their progressive ideologies instead of running away from it.
1: Uh, well, William, you took the words right out of my mouth, and you've heard me say this before, right, that... I'm, I'm tired and I've been tired for a long time of candidates trying to c- win over conservative voters. We're not going to win them and it's pointless and why bother trying? We need to activate new voters, young voters, and we also need to activate older voters who have stopped voting, who let their registrations lapse, who gave up voting because they didn't believe that there was anything or anyone worth voting for. And by doing that, you become, you know, you have to give them, we have to activate candidates who are more progressive, more left, and give those people a reason to, to register and vote. So you need more Alexandria or cortezes You need, you actually need progressive candidates who are fighting, you know, for and giving them a reason to vote. You need to talk about real changes in policies and education and health care and, and give them a reason to say, you know what? I actually believe in you. You're talking about things that matter to me. I'm actually going to register, and I'm actually going to vote.
2: Robin, I wanted to ask you, uh, were you and Gary with uh, President Obama yesterday?
0: Nope, but we helped to get people there. We helped actually get him there, and uh, I'm glad that he came. The place uh, was packed, 6,000, 7,000 people, depending upon who gives you the numbers. Uh, Joe led by saying, Donnelly led by saying, "Are you going to go vote?" Um, that once again goes back to our theme of, "That's great that you're here, but you got to go vote." And the president gave a good speech. He came over, and uh, literally came across the border. Then went back to Illinois uh, to campaign there. But no, it was tremendous. Any time you can have the president and the former president of the United States, who carried Indiana, literally. Ten years ago tonight, Mm -hmm. we celebrated Barack Mm -hmm. Obama's victory.
2: So do you think uh, President Obama was actually able to help Jill Donnelly connect with black voters in northwest Indiana?
0: I think his presence did. Not so much of the people in the room. There are very few persuadables in that room. You wouldn't have been there at 4.45 a.m. if you were persuadable. But what it did is it elevated the importance of that race to people that may not have been in the facility which was not hard to get a ticket to be in there. It just elevated the seriousness of it. And, you know, here's what we've done. I mean, William, look, we registered 77,000 people. When we began this this quest, I told uh, the folks we were working with that there were really not that many non-registered African-American voters in the state. There really were not. After Obama's efforts, after Obama's efforts again in 12, after some local efforts, And and then, after a little bit of an effort in 16, the real aggregate number was not that high. We made a major dent in it in, uh, in 17 and 18. But, you know, if we're left now with somebody that is not registered to vote, when you can go online, you can walk in the trustee's office, you can walk in the clerk's office, you can walk in the courthouse, you can stop somebody at a grocery store. There's are so many opportunities. If you're not registered now, then you probably, probably not going to register. If after eight times or four times to vote for an African-American president, primary general, primary general, and you didn't vote, then in local races it's going to be tough. So what the concentration on was yesterday was not anything more than to say, now that you're registered to vote, please get out and vote. And, you know, we've not had um, uh, anything go wrong there today. The lines in, in Lake County, there were 250 people lined up to vote early again on the last day by noon. In Marion County, the lines were good. Folks were watching television. I actually think that to a lot of the core constituencies that we're trying to get to the polls, that a presidential visit actually galvanizes them to get to the polls. Um, because they realize that if the, if the person that you don't particularly like is in the state stumping constantly, saying, as, as late as today... He's
1: there again tonight. I mean, he's here again this guy tonight. This
0: has to be... Let me finish, please. This mm-hmm. guy has to be elected. Then I think you, you realize how important his, it is to him and why you have two choices. You can acknowledge that he wants this person to be elected, and he's here, I think, at least four or five times for them, Or you can sit at home and say, my vote doesn't matter. So I don't see how you can have it both ways. If you really disapprove of the policies and then don't go out and vote, then then shame on you.
2: You mentioned something uh, pretty interesting when you said people had the chance to vote for an African-American president eight times. Uh, times. General midterm, general uh, midterm, but uh, four times. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. But isn't part of the problem that people don't during the midterms, too many people don't think that they're voting for, uh, did not think they were voting for the African-American president during the midterms.
0: Well, what we found in the midterms. Yeah. In the mid. Well, yeah, he he just ran, obviously, in the presidential. But here's what happened. We did a focus group and it was one of the best. It actually changed our whole strategy. One focus group was African-American females. The other were African-American millennials. And we left that room changing our strategy because clearly what happened was people in the room were telling us, you all may think that we know everything, but we don't. Help educate us. Hmm. So if you've if you seen signs around, our signs are basically vote November 6th. Vote on this day. Hmm. This is how you vote um, on, uh, prior to the election. This is how you early vote. This is how you absentee vote. So we spent a lot of time this time, and I hope it will stick with folks, just educating people on the mechanics of voting, forgetting the rhetoric, forgetting the policy, forgetting the, oh, well, we got to talk about these things, um, forgetting that we spent more time this time, not just, well, we're going to reelect President Obama. There was more to it of this is how you reelect. President Obama if we could have done that uh, years ago. So I learned um, next time we won't start with, well, everybody understands how you vote. No, everybody doesn't. We actually had a focus group with a woman saying to the group in the focus group when we left them alone, we don't vote in the midterms. We only vote in the presidential years as if there was like no voting going. Well, then who are the people that do vote in the midterms? So what you're seeing is an aberration. Hmm. Um, It can only bode well for 2020 because the people that stood in lines in Florida and Georgia and even Mississippi are now going to know, okay, so that's what I do in 2020. Okay. All right. So we hope that we leave with a better educated and more mobilized group for the future.
1: Hmm. It is interesting that we've, you know, that this is, people are talking about how this is really historic in terms of the numbers we're seeing, because yeah, we generally playing. have so, such a low turnout for midterm elections. And it, what, I mean, and it, it, it sort it of, sort, it seems like people only turn out for presidential elections, and what you're suggesting is that a lot of people, a lot of people didn't realize that they had to turn out for midterms.
0: Well, I also think that this is the first time in a long time. My brain is is flying, trying to think. The last time it was probably 2006, and Dick Luger wasn't even opposed. So 06 would have been Luger, 10 would have been By. Would have been Evan By, that was not a battle, and when he was running for re-election to the, I mean, running for the United States Senate. Um, 14, there was no Senate race, and 18 is the first U.S. Senate race since 2010 that's been on the ballot. And this is a U.S. Senate race because you have 51 seats of one party and 49 of another. Mm. So all these states, all these Senate races, now every one of them is being determined that they could, quote, tip the balance of the United States Senate.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It's the reason that, you know, 40 to $50 million will be spent on uh, with Joe and, and Braun, and then probably another 60 to $70 million has been spent outside of their campaigns as of tomorrow.
2: How much did you say?
0: Probably forty million between Braun and 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 um, and Joe.
1: Yeah, that's really all I've been okay. seeing on TV are the donnelly
2: braun campaigns. Yeah. yeah,
0: and then probably another fifty million outside of there.
2: Wow. So President Obama really seemed to come out swinging in the last week or so. So when I first saw it, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I applauded. Uh, him coming out, and that's what many of us have been wanting to see and hear. But I was I was hoping that it, it wasn't too late. But then when I thought about it, uh, I also wondered if, if the timing was part of a planned strategy so that he didn't come out too soon, only to get people ginned up and then see that enthusiasm drop off before the election.
0: I think what, what you're seeing, was that you, William?
2: Yeah, that was me. Okay.
0: William, what... Also has gone on, I mean, let's look at those of you who are students of history. Um, When we did Obamacare, everybody ran away from it. Yes. You can remember, it was pretty nasty. Members of the Black Caucus were spat upon as they made their way to go in and vote. It was a showdown vote. People, the Tea Party was the relevant party at that point. They showed up in Washington. If you just Google anti-Obamacare protest, it's some pretty bad footage look eight years later now that you know uh, someone from Ellotsville has health care coverage with pre existing condition for their kid, somebody that lives in Monrovia has health care coverage for their child with asthma, now it's come home. So the second lesson that I learned out of this campaign first was was people and the second was personal. Um, first was people that you have to you have to make contact with people. I knew this all along but I think the campaigns have made this, these elections more personal-oriented uh, than ever before. They thought they were going to lead with the tax cut. You hardly heard any ads talking about the tax cut. They started early with those, and then somebody said, hey, wait a minute. 64% of the people that work in the country didn't get a tax cut. So the people that you think you're excited about, and when you add in those folks that are retired that don't, have a job that doesn't make any difference on a tax cut, your message is off-center. You're trying to sell a product that nobody wants. So they change their thing to the politics of fear. Um, but this guy you know, should have been proud of a robust economy, should have been proud of tax cuts. The problem is everything now has become personal. What's in it for me? What are you doing for me? And what impact does it have on me? So now you have a very different alliance of people that in 2010 would have voted for the Republican candidate because they were against Obamacare, that now are going to probably vote for the Democratic candidate tomorrow because he voted the cast, uh, one of the biggest votes for Obamacare because Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act now has got their student that's in college covered until they're 26, now has their child with asthma covered, now has pre existing conditions. I mean, this debate at the very end boiled down to who's both in favor of you know, pre-existing conditions when before they were campaigning against Affordable Care Act, which included pre-existing conditions. So it's, it's, it's I think, you know, you said it earlier, we're watching more progressive candidates come along and do well. I think in some respects when it is at a personal level, the country is more progressive Then then it wants to admit, because at that point, if you wrap progressivism into what's in it for me and it would benefit you, then there are a lot more people progressive than normal than normal.
1: So, Robin, maybe you can talk. Let's talk a little bit about the Senate race in Indiana, because, you (laughs) you know, we have we have two senators that are actually in terms of their advertisements that are are kind of trying to out conservative each other, if that. I mean, those that that's not really a word, but when you look at the ads, that's really what's kind of happening, right? Um. So and the numbers are are hard to parse. I mean, maybe you can give us a little bit of a breakdown. But how do we, how do we work this out? I mean, so, I mean, I know that Donnelly sort of I mean, he did he did at the end after. Dithering, you know, he did vote against Kavanaugh's confirmation, but um, <laughs> he um, he he drives around in his motor home and talks a lot about how he he votes with Trump a lot of the time in a lot of his policies, particularly when it comes to the things like the border wall and immigration. So um, we have two uh, we have two men uh, who are trying to sort of um, out Trump each other. What do voters do tomorrow? Um, how do they how they do they parse vote, this out? They
0: vote for the they vote for the candidate that talks about issues that matter at their kitchen table. Joe Donnelly has consistently said that he's for the Affordable Care Act. Um, he is for making sure that we protect the Affordable Care Act. Uh, Mike Braun has not done that until basically around Halloween when they changed their tactics.
3: Yeah, yeah.
0: I think that that matters a lot. You look at Joe Donnelly's. You know, I have had this discussion before, lots of times. Uh, Part of the the wall vote was also protecting the DACA children. That unfortunately is left out of the debate, but part of Joe's reason for doing that was that it extended protections to the DACA kids, at least the Democratic bill did. It did have parts in it that did support additional funding for the wall. He has voted six out of ten times with the President of the United States. But a lot of that legislation is legislation that benefited Indiana, protecting right there in Cook, in your own community, protecting Cook Medical from extensive charges on a medical device tax, which was part of the Affordable Care Act. He has uh, helped appoint um, African-Americans, at least Tanya Walton Pratt, we made history making her the first African-American federal judge in Indiana history. Uh, His commitment to, to being there not just in election year. I know this man. This is not a guy that just shows up. Now, some would argue that way. Well, he's constantly campaigning, but that's that's not fair. Some of these folks show up with six weeks to go and try to introduce themselves. He has been consistent in doing that. But he does realize that you're in a state that Donald Trump won by 20 points. And this is why I continue to say, whether I'm doing the analysis on television or, or talking to you all or to any group, I continue to say that I believe that he's going to win tomorrow night because, you know, any poll should, if the president's winning by 20 points and he is against you, then something's wrong in that he's against you, he won by 20 points, and you're either up by two, down by one, or in in the race of a lifetime. So clearly voters are, are concerned about having somebody to be a somewhat of a watchdog, and I think Joe would be a better watchdog than, than um, Braun, who has pledged his allegiance 100% to the president.
1: Well, that's why I asked you the question, Robin, because I wanted our, our listeners to hear you break it down for them. I think it's important that they understand, because the the ads go back and forth in a way that is going to leave the uninformed voter just completely confused.
2: Even more uninformed. Even more that's confused. Part of their strategy.
1: Yeah, of that's course. Part of and that's why I want them to hear it from you, because you know this I, better
0: I, than anybody. Well, no, they can hear it from you. All also have extensive credibility too. But I, but I, but it's just part of the strategy. I mean, it's you know, it's like you show up at, at showers and you say, "Why are you here to protest their environmental policy? What about you to protest what they're saying about women? What about you to protest their lackadaisical concern about?" Racial equality. What about you? To protest student aid cuts. What about? I mean, there's just so much that messages are designed to step on messages, so that you really can't get organized against them. Um, You know, we we have watched this. You know, we have watched this administration change over and over and over again.
1: And you know that. Yeah.
0: We have one guy that has said that. He will stand up to the president when it's most important, and he will stand up to the president um, uh, when it's in the best interest of Indiana. And we have another guy saying that he will support the president uh, almost uh, carte blanche. And if that's the kind of person that you want to have as U.S. senator, then you'll vote for Mike Braun. If you don't want to and you want to have somebody that's going to be more Indiana-focused and focused on what Hoosiers want, uh, then you'll vote for Joe Donnelly. Another group that may not resonate necessarily as much as people should have, but if you look at Indiana from a distance, we're a farm state. Mm -hmm. A lot of agriculture in our state. Talk to the farmers that are dealing with soybean and the tariffs and the fact that the, Mm -hmm. the prices for soybeans almost make it counterproductive to even grow them because 50% of our soybean market goes out of the country for exports. But with the tariffs, they're getting pinched more than ever before. That's crucial to our state and very important to our farmers. Talk to the folks that make our RVs that rely upon steel and other things that they bring in. That's important. So there are some infrastructure things that I think Joe Donnelly will fight for uh, more effectively than somebody says, I'll be with the president uh, almost ninety-five, one hundred percent of the time.
1: Well, and those soybeans are right now sitting in piles, about to rot, if these tariff issues don't get resolved.
0: Right, and also it it has a devastating impact on farmers because mm-hmm. they they allocated twelve billion dollars to to uh, save them. But as your viewers should should note, it really is up to them. It's up to you all listening tonight. I can't, I can't make it any clearer. If you wake up tomorrow and it's drizzling, you would still go to an IU game. If you wake up tomorrow and it's bad weather, if there was an event you wanted to go to at, at the memorial, you would still go to the concert. You would still do it. Voting is important. And when people say all oh, the ads and things on TV, the political ads, yeah, unfortunately, they are all pinched within like a three or four week period. mm So they do look overwhelming. But when you think about it, they're minuscule compared to how much money we spend selling hamburgers and hot dogs. It's not nearly as much money.
2: Um, Robin, in our last few minutes here, I wanted to ask you about, uh, well, I know you were trying to bring Adrienne Shropshire on on the show with you tonight. But for whatever reason, uh, uh, that couldn't happen. So can you talk about her a little bit?
0: Sure. Adrienne came uh, to... The Civil and Social Rights Movement, as somebody out of the, um, after Rodney King episode in L.A., she was living in L.A. at that point. She got involved in community organizing. She has matured that all the way to an organization called the Black Progressive Action Coalition. Uh, They have come in here in a major way to help fund people to go out and knock on the doors of folks. At last count, over 300,000 doors have been knocked on in, in key areas of our state. Over 100 and some thousand people have been contacted. Uh, they have. They are playing a key role in Georgia, a key role in Florida and, and some parts of Virginia where races are up. But the, the sterling example that she has said is what I tried to reiterate earlier. We are not just talking about November 6th. We're talking about the folks that learned how to vote and that the midterms do matter, voting in the mayoral elections of 19 voting in the, the, the next big set of elections in 20,
3: mm-hmm.
0: knowing how to vote in the next midterms in 22. Knowing those things, because it's not just build for, I mean, that's the, that's the very calculated political thing. Okay, great. You did your job. Thank you. See you at the rally. And then election day comes and then blip off the screen. That isn't what she wanted to do. And she was adamant whenever we worked with her to say, Robin, I want to leave behind a cadre of people that understand this, that will be well-trained, and it's quite frankly, it's been an honor to be able to work with them and be on conference calls with people from Tennessee, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, uh, Missouri, and places on the phone each week trying to figure out what we can do to try to make sure folks get to the polls and get out to vote for progressive candidates and particularly target our efforts to the minority community. and if we're fortunate enough to have a minority candidate running who is progressive to be able to support them.
2: We're just about out of time, but uh, maybe when you come back, because you always uh, answer the call whenever we reach out to you, but maybe you can bring Adrienne on with you uh, next time. Is that a possibility? I'm
0: sure if she wasn't probably in Georgia tonight, which I just saw looking at television here, that uh, the the candidate for governor, the Secretary of State, has now called for an FBI probe or a probe into hacking of the yeah. <laughs>
1: oh yeah on
0: the eve of the election cool. so if she wasn't down there probably dancing on top of alligators i'm sure we could get her let's get through and, and let's try to do this maybe a good post next uh, post election analysis of what happened would be a good show i'd welcome that oh awesome. i think
1: that would be great uh robin thank you so much our thanks to robin winston democratic strategist and chairman of progressive thought matters for joining us tonight to help make some sense of tomorrow's midterm elections by providing his expert analysis on what we know is going to be a
2: historic vote. Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have an idea for this program, we want to hear it. Please send your emails to our volunteer staff. The address is On at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share anything and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. The email address once again Bring it on at WFHB.org.
3: This land is your land. This land is mine. for you
2: heard this land is your land by the late vibrant soul-stirring sharon jones she performed this number with the legendary dap kings she lost her battle with pancreatic cancer in 2016.
1: all right we are moving into the news (laughs) to keep up with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes you can you know, you are always invited to like, just before we get into it, just so that you know, you're always invited to like the WFHB Facebook page and send us news stories. But we've got some good news for you tonight, and William's going to start us off.
2: Okay, so uh, Georgia Secretary of State Brian Kemp, oh. the Republican <laughs> candidate for governor, said Sunday that he was investigating the state Democratic Party for an attempted hack of the voter registration system. A claim met with a swift response from Democrats charging him with a shameless political stunt two days before election day. Kemp, who is a- This dude. Neck and neck rate, who is in a neck and neck race with Stacey Adams, almost said redneck. (laughs) Alleged that the state democratic party made a failed attempt to hack the state's voter registration system and announced that his office was opening an investigation into the party. Kemp said his office alerted the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI, but he offered no evidence to back up his allegation. He wants to make it look so official. While we cannot comment on the specifics of an ongoing investigation, I can confirm that the Democratic Party of Georgia is under investigation for possible cyber crimes. Candace Brochi, press secretary for the Secretary of State, said in a statement, we can also confirm that no personal data was breached and our system remains secure. Brochi told NBC News that the office will release additional information as soon as we can. On Sunday afternoon, Kemp's office released a new statement saying the Secretary of State opened the investigation after receiving information from our legal team about failed efforts to breach the online voter registration system and my voter page. We are working with our private sector vendors and investigators to review data logs, Kemp's office said. We have contacted our federal partners and formally requested the Federal Bureau of Investigation to investigate these possible cyber crimes. Democrats blasted the announcement, which comes amid the backdrop of one of the nation's most fiercely contested races ahead of Election Day on Tuesday which also comes ahead of one of the nation's uh, largest voter suppression efforts by by the suppressor-in-chief.
1: So this is what absolutely amazes me, William, is how can Kemp be permitted to continue to hold his position as Secretary of State of the state of Georgia while running at the same time I'm with for you. Jo- for governor of the state of Georgia. I'm with you. I mean, so that he can simultaneously be secretary of state, simultaneously be running for the governorship of Georgia. I mean, he's in a neck and neck race with Stacey Abrams, who would become the first black woman to ever become governor of any state in, in U.S. history. And here he is opening up. An d- investigation into the Democratic Party. I mean, it is so, it has corruption written all over it. The man is, I mean, he's uh, being accused of purging voters from the rolls. One
2: million during his tenure if as during Secretary During
1: his tenure as, Secret- uh, as Secretary of State in Georgia, he is corrupt.
2: Oh, and it gets better. It gets better. Because he's foul. if neither one of them gets to 50% of the vote, there's a runoff. And he still supervises the runoff election.
1: I mean, so basically it's like, it's like when a police officer is involved in a shootout and you have other cops investigating this, it's like, I mean, it's so heinous. It's so absolutely, Oh, it's like, oh, you're investigating yourself. What are the odds that you're going to actually find yourself guilty of anything? I mean, it's absolutely criminal. He should have been asked to relinquish his position. He was. He was. This is what I'm saying. I mean, it's so ridiculous. And they
2: demanded he relinquish his his position, but, you know, nobody has any authority to enforce that. So he gets away with it.
1: But this is the kind of shady politics that Kemp has been known for his entire tenureship and that... People in the Republican Party in state after state are, I mean, that are being investigated for. It's really, really shameful. And what happens if the count is so close that we have to go to a recount? You know he's going to demand a recount, right? I mean, it's really, we are going to have to watch this. I mean, everyone's watching this race anyway. But I am i am very, very suspicious of anything that involves this man. So... Let's turn to something that's happened very close to home, right across the river in Kentucky. I know that most of our uh, listening audience has probably heard about it. If you haven't, um, I know that most of us are uh, standing with our Jewish brothers and sisters after the terrible, terrible um, shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. Um, But there was, I mean, that same week, there was a horrible Senseless, senseless killing at a Kroger supermarket um, that happened just out um, in Louisville, actually, um, that also really needs to be investigated as a hate crime that killed two African American um, individuals. But I don't. What I don't know if people realize is that before going into the supermarket, there was a video that was later released that showed the perpetrator, Victor Oshien, right. Um, He was the guy that actually opened fire um, in Pittsburgh, but Gregory Allen Bush is the guy that opened up fire in the Kroger supermarket in Kentucky. Right before he killed those two individuals in the Kroger, he actually tried to get into a predominantly black church first, but the church was locked. And so then he went to Kroger and shot and killed the two black folks at Kroger. So now the two fe- the federal investigators are supposedly investigating the shooting um, and looking into perhaps categorizing it as a hate crime. According to reports, Bush, 51, allegedly walked into the Kroger super- supermarket Wednesday afternoon, shot and killed 69-year-old Maurice Stollard in the back of the head. As Stollard lay on the ground, presumably dying, Bush shot him again several times. He then walked outside and shot Vicki Lee Jones, 67 years old, several times as well, killing her. Both the mayor and the police chief have openly come out to denounce the shootings and insisted that they were motivated by racism. Police Chief Seth Rogers did not shy away from admitting and acknowledging the elephant in the room, calling out people to address and accept the fact that the shooting was motivated by racism. He said this addressing the fact that the congregation at First Baptist Church on Sunday Based on the video from one of the surveillance cameras, Rogers said, I won't stand here and pretend that none of us know what could have happened if that evil man had gotten in the doors of this church. He also noted that before the shooter was captured, he told someone, whites don't shoot whites. Apparently, he was approached by a white man at the supermarket, and he told that man, you know, basically, like, leave me alone, whites don't shoot other whites, okay? Um... Uh, Apparently, a Louisville resident named Ed Harrell spoke to the Courier Journal describing the incident. He said he was present during the shooting. And as he held on to his old own revolver outside the parking lot, he recalls the shooter walking by him and saw him holding on to his gun. And he said to that man, don't shoot me. I won't shoot you. Whites don't
2: shoot whites. I wonder why he didn't shoot But did did you also know that Marie Stallard was murdered in, in front of in his front grandchild? of his
1: grandson? Yeah. I was actually gonna bring that up, and I'm really, really glad you did. He was there with his grandson buying some supplies for his grandson to, to do a school project. His grandson saw his grandfather gunned down in front of him, eleven years old.
2: Imagine the 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 trauma. And how long that, that child is going to carry that trauma with him.
1: He'll carry it with his for him for his, the rest of his life.
2: So <clears throat> let's see what we have next.
1: I, actually, we're almost out of time, William, in terms of the news stories. If you look at, you know, so I just wanted to, you know, let you know that. So we could maybe just talk about this for a few more seconds. But what's really sad is that. With the coverage the Pittsburgh shooting has gotten, and not to not to take anything away from that, but a lot of people are upset that the Kroger shooting has not been talked about um, as much. And that a lot of people are upset about that. That they think that both shootings had should have been talked about to the same sort of, you know, amount, basically. That Pittsburgh happened just two days later, and we've been hearing about it all across the country but that people have not been talking about Kroger. A lot of people don't even know about what happened in Kentucky.
2: Even before the Pittsburgh uh, shooting happened, i read other reports that that was uh, critical of the the level of coverage uh, about the Kroger shooting.
1: Kroger happened Thursday, Pittsburgh happened Saturday. So it's just, it's really frustrating that it seems like African-Americans get shot, nothing really happens or gets talked about. And uh, so I'm not saying that we shouldn't be talking about Pittsburgh, what i'm saying is why aren't we talking about what's happened in kentucky with the same level of angst and frustration and sorrow right nationally and so a lot of people feel that way because it's equally a a a despicable hate crime right i mean bush was arrested he's in prison he's facing two counts of murder ten counts of felony wanton endangerment um but it, it just seems like certain kinds of shootings had dominate the headlines, and others don't. Well, so.
2: some people would say the Kroger shooting was a, a, a double homicide, and and the Pittsburgh shooting was a mass murder.
1: How um, many how many people do you need to how many people do you need to kill?
2: Well, the, the church shooting in Charleston really got uh, a lot of coverage.
1: Oh, and Dylan Roof has been sentenced to death. By the way, speaking about that, yeah. So.
2: Anyhow, that was a look at African American headline news from around the world for this week. Tune in again next week for the latest news on and for the African American community. We want to know what you think of current black issues. Please send your comments to Bring It On at WFHB.org for Bring It On. I'm William Hosea.
1: And I'm Amrita Myers. You're listening to Bring It On, Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM, on your radio, and live on the web at WFHB.org. If you have an event or happening in the African-American community that we should know about, please send the information directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item that you may have heard about tonight or any other Monday evening, Contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org.
2: Our thanks to Robin Winston, Democrat strategist and chairman of Progressive Thought Matters, for joining us to help make sense of tomorrow's midterms by providing his expert analysis on tomorrow's historic vote.
1: Yes, indeed. Our show's producer is the fabulous Clarence Boone. With help from WFHB... With help from WFHB News Department Director, the equally fabulous Wes Martin. And our board engineer tonight is Wes Martin. Our original theme music was created by Jamil Effium, with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB Tonight, signing off, I'm Amrita Myers.
2: I'm William Hosea. and Most important, do not forget to exercise your hard-fought right to vote tomorrow. And don't forget to tune in next Monday, November 12th at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB.
1: You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana